Welcome to FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon features founding pastor Ken Werlein, and it was recorded on Sunday, January 23rd. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love the chance to connect with you, so drop us a line at podcast at faithbridge.org. If you're in the area, join us this Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Come say hi. And you can always join us at FaithBridge online at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Pastor Ken. Hey, I'm so glad you're here as we continue the journey on as we're working through the Gospel of Luke. So take your Bibles. Let's go to Luke chapter 3 right now. If you need a Bible, why don't you wave at one of the ushers? They'd be glad to let you borrow one or keep it if you need. And you can always use your electronic device while they're turning. You online, welcome you in communion. So glad that you're here. So here's the question I want to ask you as we get going. Could you summarize your life in about five minutes? If you could just sort of, if I just said, tell me your your life story. I'll give you five, maybe 10 minutes. Could you do that? I bet you could. I bet you just haven't been trained how to do it. When I uh, am working with our new staff or interns in the summer or even outside groups that I do coaching with, typically I ask them to do an exercise that we call life lines. What it means is each person takes a big piece of butcher paper that you stick up on the wall and ask them to get a color, a couple of markers. And I say, now what I want you to do is I want you to section that piece of paper into to five frames. You can draw the frames however you want, whichever shape, but make them generally the same size. And in each frame, I want you to draw a picture of a scene, a moment, a pivotal day or era in your life, but you only get five frames. Sometimes people are self-conscious. I'm not a very good artist. It's okay. I use stick figures. That's fine. But you'll use that as your way of sort of telling us your life story. Typically, the first frame has a, a, a mom and a dad in the house, and maybe it says Dallas or, you know, whatever, where it's from. And, and so, you know, that's kind of where the story's going to start. And then maybe because I'm dealing primarily with people who are in ministry or thinking about ministry, typically you see the frame of, of, of a cross with little rays coming out of it and somebody kneeling down. And that typically I'm like, okay, that's where you're going to tell me you've trusted in Christ where you met the Lord. And another scene, maybe uh, a frame, you'll see two people with hearts and love. And you're like, okay, this is going to be your special or your spouse. Um, Or conversely, maybe you see a face with tears coming down or you see a picture of a casket. It's like, oh, we're going to deal with a painful part of your life. But what you find is that pretty easily any person if given about five or 10 minutes and about five frames can summarize their life story because all of our stories are just a collection of key pivotal moments that many times you can't see clearly till you're looking in the rear view mirror and somebody asks you to do it. Now, I ask you that because here's the next thing that I'd want to ask you. What if you were asked 
to draw the life of Jesus in five frames. I bet you'd say, I don't know if there's enough frames. Well, true. But I'm going to tell you today, we're going to look at a passage that actually made the cut that was one of the few frames for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four people who gave us gospels, who wrote the story of Jesus, each with their own little flavor, but generally all consistent, saying exactly the same thing. But there are several scenes that make it into all the accounts, and this is one of them. Clearly, they believe this was a moment, and we don't want to miss it or what it means for our lives. So let me read it to you now in Luke chapter three. That's where we'll start. And then uh, we'll jump over actually to Matthew three, just a little bit before it, because I want to put a little extra color on it that Matthew gives us. Let me read to you Luke three, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Now let's jump over and let's get Matthew's take on this frame. I want to borrow the the translation from Gene Peterson called The Message because I think his words just paint such a, 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 a wonderful picture of it. Starting in verse 13. Jesus then appeared, arriving at the Jordan River from Galilee. And he wanted to baptize, he wanted John to baptize him. And John objected. You are the one who, I am the one who needs to be baptized, not you. But Jesus insisted, do it. God's work, putting things right. All these centuries is coming together right now in this baptism. So John did it. The moment Jesus came up out of the baptismal waters, the skies opened up and he saw God's spirit. And it looked like a dove descending and landing on him. And along with the spirit of voice saying, this is my son, chosen and marked by my love, delight of my life. John the Baptist, now you remember, if you weren't here last week, I want you to go back and listen to Pastor Dan's very good sermon as he was explaining this forerunner to Jesus, the one who came before Jesus, preparing the way for the Messiah or the Savior who was stepping onto the scene. John the Baptist. By the way, when we talk about John the Baptist, we need to make clear there were not denominations back then. So it's it's not like you had John the Baptist and his pal who was Mark the Methodist and Larry the Lutheran and Craig the Catholic. No, there was no denomination. Sometimes scripture writers would just use an adjective, taking the verb that described what they did and, and using it as an adjective to describe here's who this person was. But since uh, John was about three months older than Jesus, his ministry at 30, which was the key starting age biblically, his ministry would start about three months earlier than Jesus. And so you have Jesus up in Galilee, you have John who's about 70 miles south there at the Jordan River. And what is John doing? He's, He's baptizing these people. And he's reminding them, uh, 
You need to repent. Turn back to God. News of his ministry travels northward, so 70 miles. And Jesus realizes it's time. It's time for me to do what I was sent here to do. Some three months later. Now, we don't know exactly how Joseph died or when, but we do deduce that he was no longer living because we don't read anything else about Joseph, the husband of Mary. But we do know that in his loss, Jesus, the firstborn, would have been the one to step up and be the leader of the home. And so before he leaves Galilee to go south, He would have taken care to make sure that his mother Mary was taken care of. And his four younger brothers. And at least two sisters. You say, you know, he had siblings. Yes, just look at Mark 6, 3. You can read about Jesus' family and his siblings. And so he takes that journey uh, southward now, those 70 miles to where his eccentric relative, John the Baptist, was doing his ministry. And when he gets there, he steps out into those waters of the Jordan where John is preaching repentance, baptizing people. And he says to him, now you need to baptize me, John. Which begs the question, why? Jesus, why do you need to be baptized? We will get to that, but really what I want to do in this talk today is is deal with four questions. So before we get to that one, we have to back up and ask the first of the four questions. Some of you are already ahead of me and you're already even thinking about it. You're even asking that first question. The first question is, wait, why was anybody getting baptized before Jesus' ministry began? That doesn't make any sense. Here's why. Because sometimes, several hundred years before Christ, you had Gentiles. Who's a Gentile? A Gentile is a non-Jewish person. So many of us who didn't come out of Judaism, we'd be Gentiles, okay? So many times Gentiles living in those days would come along and they would say, you know, I just, I'm so uh, taken by my Jewish friends. I want to be Jewish. Could I be Jewish? Could I become a Jew? And the answer was, yes, you could, but you'll have to do three things. Okay, what are they? Number one, you'll need to learn the law of Moses. Check. Number two, you'll need to get circumcised. (laughs) You know, on second thought, maybe I don't know if I really want to do this after all. But some would push through. They say, I don't think I understand why. Well, it ties back to Abraham and this covenant that God made and his chosen people. And it's kind of a sign of it. And so... If they pushed through the third, second one, you'd get to the third one. And the third one was, you would subject yourself to a ceremonial cleansing called baptism. And, and, and in baptism, what you were saying as a Gentile is, I'm washing, I'm scrubbing. And that's what the word baptismo means. It means to wash or to scrub. So I'm, I'm scrubbing off my Gentileness. I'm getting rid of that, and now I'm becoming Jew, okay? So this is why people were getting baptized even before Jesus. You say, oh, okay, so his cousin, John the Baptist, then he was preaching to a bunch of Gentiles, right? Wrong. John, the baptizer, 
he's actually taking baptism and giving it yet a different meaning because he was preaching mainly to Jewish people. And they didn't need to be baptized, not before he came along. And what's he doing? He's saying, you filthy brood of vipers, you sinners, you need to turn back to God. We need to prepare the way for the Lord. Messiah's coming. He's right behind me. You need to repent. And as evidence of it, you need to be baptized. We need to scrub that sin off. He had good intentions, John did. And he was fulfilling what the word had said would happen, but his ministry would always be a little bit incomplete. Why would it be incomplete? You know this. You can change the outsides of a person. You can wash them off, but if you don't put something new on the inside that's more powerful and transformational, the person will just go back to doing the same old stuff on the outsides. So in that regard, John's ministry was always going to be incomplete. But he wasn't lacking for passion. That much we see clearly. So into this situation, Jesus walks. He goes into the Jordan and he says to John, baptize me. John is like, I'm a little bit confused. Why would I baptize you, Jesus? You don't need baptism because you don't need to repent of your sins and turn from your sins because you have got no sins. So why would I baptize you? Now let's deal with that second question. Why would Jesus get baptized? Some of you are like, I know, I know, I know, because he was setting an example for us. Yes, but that's the kindergarten answer. There's actually more going on here. And I want to go a tad deeper, make sure that we really understand what was going on here because Luke is telling us something all the gospel writers were. Very significant what's happening. See, by voluntarily stepping into the waters of baptism, Jesus, who had no sin, was announcing something very, very important for you and for me. He was saying, I'm identifying with you fully. Right now, all of you sinful people, I'm plunging myself, as it were, into the waters of humanity fully. And I'm doing it voluntarily and humbly. Nobody's making me. I'm stepping fully into human shoes or sandals in those days. Jimmy Buskirk was a preacher that I admired for many years. And he often would tell the story of how when he was a young man, a young preacher, he noticed something was off with his eyes. So he went to the eye doctor and the eye doctor did a, did a series of tests and, and so, and then finally comes in, sits down and says, uh, Pastor Jimmy, we need to have a talk. I've got very bad news for you. You're losing your sight and you're gonna go blind at a very young age and there's nothing we can do about it. Well, he was shocked, but the biggest concern that he had was that he wouldn't be able to do the ministry that he knew God had called him to do because he was afraid that the church would kick him out and say, we don't have a blind pastor. And so Jimmy Buskirk went back to his church and he began to step off and count how many steps it took for him to get from a seat 
up to the front to preach and how, how many steps it took to walk out the back and get to his office and how many steps it took to get to the kids' ministry. And he, he would go up when no one was there and put blindfold on himself because he just, he wanted to be, to, to be, even when he had gone blind, able to continue to minister to them and lead them with confidence. If, if that isn't t- t- tender enough and pathetic enough, listen to what his father did. His father, with whom he had a very close relationship, loved him very much. His father was so distraught. His father went over to the, to the eye doctor and went in to meet with the eye doctor. And he says, doctor, I don't want my son to go blind. He has so many more good years ahead of him. He's a young man. You, we've got to do something. He says, I've been thinking about it. And Jimmy's a young man and he's got bad eyes, but I'm an old man. I've had a good life. I don't need my eyes anymore. How about you do a surgery and you take my good eyes out and you put them into Jimmy and then you give me his bad eyes. It'll be okay. Touched by this, the doctor appreciating his, this father's love, he said, it doesn't work like that. It's not that simple. It has more than just to do with the eyeballs. But Jimmy said after that, he never again had to question if his father really loved him. Because when you really love someone, you step into their world. You don't stand back aloof. You come into their world. You get close up to it. And you identify with the person in their pain or their suffering or their brokenness. That's what Jimmy, Jimmy's father did for him. It's what Mother Teresa would spend her life doing in India. With the poorest of the poor and the sickest of the sick. Drawing near to them, not standing aloof. And it's what God did for us in Jesus Staying not away in heaven, but coming near. Jesus, who being in very nature God, makes himself nothing. Condescends to taking the form of a, of a servant and humbly entering into this sin-filled world. He plunges himself into, the wor- into this world. Why did he do that? It's the gospel. It's the good news. He did it because someone had to live the life of sinlessness that you and I couldn't live. And only one could take our place. He would take our place and die the death of punishment that all of us deserved so that on the third day he could conquer the grave that none of us would be able to conquer signifying if we would put our trust in him, if we would take him by faith to ourselves, we too would have the infusion of life from the resurrected Christ. And so this is what was going on here at his baptism, you see. His ministry and his mission is gonna take all of three years to be completed at Calvary, but it's beginning right here in this frame at the Jordan River. That's why Jesus was baptized. But then another question arises. 
Well, did the baptism of Jesus do anything for him? Did it do him any good? Actually, yes, it did. Because coming out of the water, let's remember what happened in that point. He receives an unforgettable confirmation that comes from heaven, assuring him that he, Jesus, is smack dab in the center of the Father's will for him. You ever wondered, am I doing what God wants me to do? Sometimes you hear people who, who say, uh, figuratively, I, I just wish, I'm so torn, I don't know, does God want me to do this? Should I take this job? Or should we move here? Should, I just wish you would make it clear and just write it in the sky using letters of fire. Just show me, God. I'll do it if you just show me. Well, God did one better this day for Jesus than even that. It says the heavens were parted right here in this moment. And the voice from heaven says, you are my son whom I love. And with you, I'm well pleased. You're doing exactly what I sent you to earth to do. And to further confirm it, the Father sends the Holy Spirit right in this moment, descending upon Jesus like a dove. Imagine, you have to see what's going on. Now you're starting to see why this was a frame in all four gospel writers, because right here in this scene, you have the whole Trinity. You have the Father who's speaking from heaven. You have the Son who's being baptized in the water. You have the Holy Spirit, boom, coming down upon him. It's like, wow, right here, the whole Trinity, bam, bam, bam. It's all happening right here. And this is, this is what was going on. But why would Jesus need confirmation from heaven that he was doing the right thing? Think about this. You know that verse in Hebrews 4.15 that says he was tempted in every way as we're tempted, and yet he was without sin? Remember that one? Let me ask you a question. What is one of your greatest temptations, our greatest temptations? One of humanity's greatest temptations tends to be questioning ourselves, to doubt ourselves, to, to, to wonder, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing here on earth? Am I doing it where I'm supposed to be doing it the right way? Am I on schedule? Am I ahead of schedule? Am I behind schedule? Am I doing it well enough? Are you pleased with me, Father? It's the self-doubt that comes in. Ah, if Jesus was truly tempted in every way as we are tempted, yet was without sin, then he would have most definitely, here and there, been tempted even to doubt whether he was on the right mission of soul saving here in this world. You see, you see it again when you go to the end of his ministry and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. What happens? He's having his moments of doubt again where he's praying through tears and he's saying, Father, if there's any way this cup could pass 
pass from me. In other words, if, is there any other way we could get this deal done without what I know is coming? But not my will, thy will be done. So even Jesus, he needed confirmation from above. He needed that assurance that comes saying, no, you're right on track. You're right where I want you to be. And that's what was happening at Jesus' baptism. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. You know, if we had a little more time, we could meander right on down the road and talk about parenting. Because really, when you think about it, every one of us who's a mom or a dad, you realize your child needs to hear those words from you. You are my son, my daughter, and I love you. And I'm so proud of you. That'd be a good sermon, but we don't have time for that sermon, right? This is about the father's confirmation to Jesus, his son, about what's going on here in this baptism. Clearly, he's heard his call now. He's, he's had it confirmed from above. And, and there's even an equipping that's happening. The Holy Spirit is coming to equip him and give him inner power to do the ministry now that he's going to be doing the next three years. Which brings us to the final question that I want us to talk about today. And that's this. What does baptism mean for you? Does the water of baptism save you? Does the water of baptism save a person? There's a lot of confusion, misconceptions about this. No. The water does not save you any more than, than wearing a ring like this. You see this ring? Does the fact I wear this ring, is this ring because I wear it, does this make me married? No, the ring doesn't make me married. The truth of the matter is I, I could have gone out and bought a ring like this 20 years before I ever met Suzanne and just put it right on. Now, it wouldn't have meant the same thing. It would have been sort of hollow. And it certainly wouldn't carry the meaning that it carries now. But it's not the ring that makes me marry. The ring is just the outward visible sign of an inward spiritual commitment that Suzanne and I made to each other more than 20 years ago when we got married. So the ring doesn't make you married. But it does mark me as a married person. Who, who did make that commitment of marriage. Similarly, friends... The waters of baptism, they save nobody. The waters are not salvific themselves. So what do they do? They mark outwardly, visibly, an inward spiritual commitment that a person has made to Jesus Christ, trusting their lives over to him. So let me tell you what I... I, I was kind of thinking about, I suppose in general terms, there's two groups of people hearing me right now, whether you're in the live service, whether you're in communion, whether you're at home somewhere right now, 
you probably fall into one of two groups. On the one hand, the first group, you might be the people who you've been marked by baptism. Somewhere in your past, you were baptized. Maybe it was when you were an infant. Maybe it was when you were a child or a teenager. And maybe you were marked by baptism. Sort of like a story that one of my mentors, Dr. Bill Henson, would tell of himself. He said, when I was 10 years old, I went forward to get baptized. But you know why I went forward to get baptized? Because I'd seen what had happened the week before when my sister went up to get baptized. Everybody got all excited. And my parents were so proud. I figured, I'm going to give me some of that too. So I got up and I went forward, he said, and I got baptized too. But he said, while I had the outer marking of baptism, there was still no inner commitment inside my heart, not to the Lord. There was no confirmation coming from heaven. This deal has been struck. It was hollow. Just a meaningless symbol, he would say. I mentioned that story because I just have a sneaking suspicion that there's any number of you here, maybe you, you have been baptized. Maybe when you were little, maybe a child along the way or a teenager, but maybe you sort of did it for reasons similar to what I just described. To you, I would ask this more important question. Let's put the water aside for a minute. The deeper question is this. Have you really trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life? Have you confirmed that faith that you have in him? If not, that's where you need to back up today. That's the application point for you today. You should say, you know, I've been outwardly baptized, but inside I got to sync up my soul with the symbol of baptism that, that already happened to me. But then there's a second group of people. Maybe you fall into the second group of people. Sometimes I meet people in this group, and, and they tend to be the people who they really have trusted in Christ. Somewhere along the way, they met Christ, and they love the Lord, and they're, and they're journeying close to the Lord. But you ask them, now, where were you marked in baptism? When did that happen? And they would say, Honestly, I don't think I ever did that. Probably ought to get around to that. You know what that would be more similar to is two people who have decided that they're going to live together, they're going to cohabitate, but they haven't gotten married yet. Okay? If that's you, then what you need to do, see, you need to back up because you can't be acting like married people without being marked in marriage and incidentally if that's you why don't you come forward at the end and I'll just get you married right here before you go home okay we can we can take care of that today all right but you might metaphor follow my illustration here though you might need to back up because you're living as married people but you haven't been marked in marriage similarly maybe you're living as a believer but you need to back up now and be marked as a believer in water baptism. Sort of like the story that I read this past week about how out in the great Pacific Northwest, the timber companies, after cutting down those, those, those great trees, would drag them to the edge of the water, and then they would push them in and float those trees miles and miles 
down the river to the woodmills many miles away. But before loading those trees into the rivers, those who had felled the trees had axes with the blunt back and raised initials on that axe. And they would bring those axes down on a skinned part of the tree and they would drive into that tree the initials of the tree company to which that timber belonged. And then they would push it into the waters and it along with hundreds of other logs would go floating through unguarded waters till at last when they got down to the wood mills, those trees would be pulled from the water and their rightful owner would be respected because it had been marked many miles upstream. I wonder, have you been marked as one of his? Have you been marked in baptism as a disciple of Jesus, as one of the family of God? Jesus humbled himself to identify with us. Now, the question I have for you, have you humbled yourself to identify with him? I ask because in two weeks, we're going to have a baptism service. And it's going to be a great afternoon. And my hope and my prayer is that many of you who've not ever done that, you're going to say, you know what? I I think it's time for me to be baptized. And if you would, you'll join the ranks of many others, hundreds, who've come before you, even here at Faithbridge. Take a look at a few from the recent year. When a person realizes, I'm a sinner, I've fallen short of God's grace, I need help, I need a savior, and they come to a point of decision, a point of deciding, I'm going to trust Jesus Christ to be savior and Lord of my life. Christians had a a service to mark that moment. And that's what this is right here. When Mandy was asked, why do you want to be baptized? Her reply was, I've never been baptized before, nor have I publicly declared my faith. And I feel it's important that I do so. Caden is in third grade and he became a believer when he first started coming to FaithBridge. One of his favorite truths is Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all. Maria believes that she's seeing how God works in her life by the changes in her behavior and the positive changes in her marriage. But more than just a better relationship with her spouse, she was turned on to the awesomeness of a relationship with God and accepted Christ into her heart and life. Now we welcome Cruz Kofeld. He's the son of Brian and Jessica Kofeld and is in the second grade. For me, baptism symbolizes a new beginning with your life in Christ. And having that concrete, unchanging grounder in a world that's always changing has meant so much to me. And I am all in, in Christ. My name is George Watson, and it is my honor and privilege to introduce my friend and now also my brother in Christ, Rodrigo. I am so thrilled to introduce Amber. My name's Heather, by the way. But my faith has grown 
in knowing her. And I just love how our faith is living and the Lord does these amazing works. When asked what baptism means to her, Allie said it means growing closer to God and being one of His. We truly belong to Him. One of the things that Rodrigo shared was in coming to Faith Bridge, he began to see what being a real Christian was all about. This is Christian Linville, and I have the honor to get to introduce her today. And she wants this day, this time of being baptized, to be able to, her, her opportunity, her public declaration of Jesus, I'm with you in this. God put on my heart to be baptized. I want to bury the guilt, shame, and condemnation through faith and leave it under the water. That old me that didn't have Christ living inside of me, that old me has been laid to rest. And the new me, full of Christ living inside through His Holy Spirit, that's raised to life. That I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, buried with Christ, raised to walk in Jesus' life. Isn't that great? <laughs> I want you to take this card. You should have found one in a chair near you when you sat down. And I want you to take it and I want you to talk with us because I just have a sneaking feeling that any number of you would say, I want to do that. I want to be marked as one of his. You too online. If you're online and you're like, well, I can't do it. And yes, you can. Here's what you do. Just go to faithbridge.org slash baptism. And you can, you can fill the card out online. And you could be at this baptism that I'm talking about that comes in February, February the 6th. And <clears throat> I want you to tell us what your name is, your phone, your email, so that we can just get in touch with you. And you may have noticed we didn't give back to God yet. The primary reason for that is that I wanted to hold the baskets until the end so that you could have a place to put these in. So we're not quite done. We're going to do one more song after I pray and give us a chance to pass the baskets. And I'm going to ask you to keep your seats. Don't run off because this is a special moment right here. Now, while you're working on filling this out, I want to anticipate a couple more questions that I didn't have time to get to. Some of you are, are asking, well, does a person ever need to be rebaptized? Or maybe you're asking, what if I was baptized as an infant? Or I know that sometimes people are immersed, but sometimes they, they have the water poured on their head or they're sprinkled on the top. I'm so confused. It seems like there's a few more things that we didn't get to. There are. And so let me tell you what we're going to do. 
Pastor Wayne is going to sit down with me here in just a few moments, and, and we're going to tape a postscript, a little PS for this sermon, because I just needed about 10 or 15 more minutes than, than I had. So we're just going to move upstairs, and, and we're going we're gonna to tape that, and we'll load it up this afternoon, this evening, along with the sermon. And if you have a question that you would like, well, could you ask, answer this one? We might be able to fit that one in, too, if you'll go to faithbridge.org postscript, and we'll answer those final questions. But for right now, I want us to pray and then we'll have the ushers come forward. We'll give back to God our offerings, but also I want you to drop this in at that point. Lord, thank you for what baptism means, what it meant to you, what happened that day, and why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all said this has to be one of the frames that belongs in our story. It's a significant day for you, Lord, and the day that you started your ministry for us that would culminate at Calvary. Baptism's a significant day in our lives as well. My prayer is that, Lord, you'd meet each of us wherever it is that we need to be met. Perhaps you're here today and you say, you know, I've I was baptized, maybe a little like the teenager story you told. I don't think I ever really synced up my soul with the symbol that happened to my body. Maybe today, right now, is the day you need to invite Jesus. You just say, Lord, I'm asking you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Repurpose me and focus me forward so that I might get on mission to do and to live the life that you created me to live. I'm asking you to come in today, Jesus. Others of you, maybe you just need the Lord to nudge you a little bit more, saying, why don't you go ahead and be marked? Because you've, you've put that trust in me, I know that. But now let's, let's stamp it and mark the moment. Once you meet with us, Lord, even now, and particularly in a couple of weeks when you get to that special service two Sunday afternoons from now. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name.